always with the introductions, mm-hmm. just in case they forget. <laughs> or if they're new. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you're going to have new people joining all the time. So. Yeah. Hi, welcome to Community Roots, a place where we can gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Samuel Richards. I'm Julie Richards. I'm Lisa Gilchrist. So welcome to episode five of Woo-hoo. Community Roots. <laughs> Not bad. Just as a disclaimer, we won't be able to do that every week. We'll probably lose track of what episode we're on pretty quickly. Um, So today we are going to take a step back. Um, Last week we had Charles Roberts on the show, and he talked about trauma with um, Adrienne and myself. And it was really awesome, really engaging, great conversation. Um, I was talking with Lisa and my mom, and we were kind of discussing it might be good to go back and clarify some things because a lot of it went over my head. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure others too. Yeah. Definitely. So um, we're going to take a minute in, well, the whole episode, (laughs) more than a minute, and talk about trauma. So mom, do you want to kick it off? So one of the things that Charles mentioned is that trauma in the Greek means wound. And so it's any kind of emotional, mental, um, psychological, anything distressing to us. Um, PM Melody uses the definition, anything less than nurturing. So in that regard, anyone and everyone can experience something that is wounding and traumatic to them. And I think it's really important to note that it's not determined by what the event is. It's determined by a person's own experience to what that event was. Right. And responses and exploring that a little bit further, uh, the people around, whether the story is shared, um, how other people respond to that event as well. Or again, if they're even repeated over time, maybe a one-time event, it's, it's a lot more expansive. It's so important that we don't uh, compare our traumas or that we don't expect that someone else will have the same experience that we did. And to be able to to honor and respect that if someone is struggling or traumatized by something or they're overwhelmed, that it's basically each individual's response that their nervous system has in their capacity to be able to handle um what they're going through right and the specificity of maybe looking at our age looking at the support system as well what we've been through in the past and how capable we feel and going through it all of that is going to impact how we feel around trauma so whenever we were talking to charles something that was difficult for me to wrap my head around was just the expanse of trauma is falling over and scraping your knee trauma so it would be defined more by what's your sense of overwhelm like what has Mm -hmm. taken you beyond what you can handle and what is outside of your capacity to feel okay that it's not just stress but it would be um vamped up a notch from that that it's complete overwhelm and how you respond to that which we did cover a little bit with polyvagal theory and talking about um, we feel pretty good when we're in the ventral zone and uh, relating well and um, having community and connection with people and when we go into a uh, fight or flight 
sympathetic nervous system. That's when we're stressed out and it's really intense. And then if we are completely shut down and overwhelmed, that's our dorsal vagal. And so when we're talking about trauma, we're talking about we have kind of left that ventral zone where we feel good and we're just in a place of overwhelm that we're responding either with that sympathetic nervous system or that dorsal state in the parasympathetic. I liked your example. I mean, it, it definitely helped broaden out um, of the falling. Um, I've fallen quite a few times. Um, some I might acknowledge is, is not so bad and others I know that there's stuff in my nervous system related to the impact, how it falls, um, how fast it is. Sometimes we're looking at the recovery period if people are there. Um, so that's where I think it maybe depends on the fall. It does still depend on the person um, because for one another person that might not be an issue at all. Um, but for another, um, a simple fall might be might be really big for them. Uh, I was on Reddit on like a parenting subreddit and they were talking about how whenever toddlers fall, they almost look around to the adults in the room to see how bad the fall was. Mm. Is, is that kind of um, explained with this trauma thing? Like even though the kid falls and breaks their knee, it's really about who's around them, what the reaction is around them that affects the trauma or is it completely internal about how they perceive it? in terms of um, even if everybody's looking at the situation normally, if they feel, ow, that really hurt a lot, then they're still going to cry and give that response. Or is it more, everybody else around me is supportive. So even though I've hit and scratched my knee. Well, the core of trauma is that we feel afraid and we feel alone. Mm. And so what we've found is that Often, even if we go through something that's a very traumatic event, that the more traumatizing part of that event is often the response that we get about the trauma. So for someone, say, who was raped, and the if they are not believed, if their story is not supported, if they don't have help, then that becomes even more traumatizing because their reality has been questioned. And so it's not always the event. It's do we have support around us? Are we, are we believed? Is our reality taken seriously? And do we have support? Yeah, there's definitely such a impact. Again, really looking at how trauma is a disconnector as well and having people to support. Again, I think of you know, sometimes physical touch and saying just having an adult come down to the kid's level, maybe after they've fallen, putting a hand on them and n not rushing them up or because we're so used to like, oh, we've got to recover. You've got to get up so fast. You've got to just move on, you know, from the event, whatever it may have been. And just to kind of sweep it away. And when we have someone acknowledge and validate the experience it really does support the nervous system to come back down so that we're not stuck in that overwhelmed state so what are some things that can make your trauma worse like something happens and it kind of blows out of proportion and you're really affected by it so what are some of those factors 
So even though trauma is trauma, um, we found that there are factors that contribute to the severity of the impact. Um, John Allen in his book, Coping with Trauma, talks about what makes it most pervasive is when that trauma is interpersonal, um, it's repeated, it's unpredictable, it's multifaceted, things that are undergone in childhood, and things that are perpetuated in an attachment relationship. And the people that were supposed to be safe for us and give us nurturing support actually become someone who causes the wound. That makes it more traumatic. So when you find the things that have been happening over the lifespan, specifically developmental trauma, developmental and relational trauma, those are the wounds that can be so pervasive because they are continually chronic. They're a pattern. And sometimes they're just so unpredictable. You don't know when you can trust and when you can go towards someone and that they will give you support mm -hmm. or when, if I go towards them, they might injure me. It's very divisive and confusing. And something else I think that we've, we've learned and experienced with trauma is that we lose the ability to process what is happening as it's happening and can be disorienting and we can be in those states of confusion. Um, and I think you've mentioned before, Julie, but the aloneness and, and feeling so confused in that. And it's such a, like a, a deep well of a subject and it it's it's personal and it's scary and we undergo a lot of the impressions of you know I think I have to process this by by telling my story or deleting the story altogether and when we're talking about the impact of trauma on the nervous system it's something that requires space and time um, and words, we just don't always have them mm -hmm. <laughs> when we've been traumatized. Mm -hmm. So help me understand multifaceted. What does that look like in terms of trauma? More that relational and emotional, all of the complexities, the dynamics of a relationship as opposed to a one event mm. thing that has happened. So multifaceted is... Um, I'm in a relationship where I'm supposed to be close to this person and they could hurt me or I have responsibilities and that links me to other meanings, like things that, that just dynamically, it is so complicated. It's just complex. It's not on this day, this happened and it has no meaning. Multifaceted would be, there are so many different links that our brain makes and, and giving it more meaning that it's attached to, that it's just if I had to simplify it, I would say it's just so complicated. Like multifaceted is just, it's complex. I know you guys have said um, that everybody has trauma, but it's amazing to me with this list, how many situations I can think up and that I've heard my friends explain that they've been through this kind of stuff. It's just a lot. Well, and it it's is. so interesting too, whenever someone comes in, to be seen by a therapist. And, and we ask the question as we're trying to gain a history, um, have you had any trauma? And quickly, a lot of times people will say, no, no, but I don't have any trauma. And they don't realize until they start telling their story and they're unfolding this in, in front of you of, well, these various things that have happened to me are, and you're thinking, 
pets trauma. But it's almost like we have a bias towards, it must be the huge events, the big T traumas, they're called instead of little T traumas, but um, that it has to be something really substantial for it to count. But in reality, I think it's so powerful as we understand the nervous system, because when we have uh, a distress in our body, it gets locked in there until it has a chance to come full circle and be relieved. Like that's the essence of any kind of distress that's in our body. It has to be worked all the way through to a sense of calm and comfort before it can be fully released. Has to be expressed first, has to be felt, and then it can be resolved. Absolutely. Um, it really is. I think this, uh, this is something that deserves a lot of attention, a lot of um, exploration towards, um, I try to use words like scary, you know, maybe when I'm working with kids, like, has anything scary happened? Or, you know, um, going at it in a, a slightly different way, because it's, not the easiest bridge to even validate, you know, maybe that what we've experienced is traumatic because of comparison. Or I think like you said earlier, it's not that substantial billboard. You know, everyone can identify that as trauma. It's so unique and it's pervasive and universal and everywhere. So as we talk about all these like traumatic events and all these examples, what's actually going on in your nervous system at the time of trauma? Like we've talked about it freezes you up, it's confusion, but if we could talk in plain terms, what what's going on with trauma in your nervous system? So your your brain is setting off all kinds of neurotransmitters of stress hormones, cortisol, that is being released. So the job of the brain is to keep us safe and to protect us. And so through our nervous system and through our senses, the brain is always taking in information, things that we see, things that we smell, things that we hear, that we feel, that we touch. And even what Stephen Porges calls neuroception, like we just have a felt sense that when I'm in the room, I know if that person is someone that I can be at ease with or someone that I'm on guard with. And so the brain is taking in all that information and trying to determine, am I safe or not? And if there's those cues of safety, my nervous system, literally my, um, the hormones that are being released into my body, the chemicals released into my body are calming and, and peaceful. And I don't feel distressed. I feel at ease. But then if, <laughs> so at ease, you might yawn. <laughs> <laughs> Samuel's Guilty. getting really comfor <laughs> comfortable as I'm talking about it. He's just kind of, oh, that's peaceful. But then if we suddenly feel distressed and we're scared and we're overwhelmed, then we have all the cortisol being released into our body that's preparing us to survive, to mm. um, take care of ourselves, to protect ourselves, to run or to fight back or to if we're completely overwhelmed, just shut down and, and be in that dorsal state of just um, complete overwhelm where you freeze. 
So our, our body, our nervous system is responding to all these cues that are coming in, if they are cues of safety or cues of danger. And we can feel that as we get more aware. That was one of the things that Charles talked about was, what are you noticing in your body? Do you feel that tension in your neck or in your shoulders or in mm. your back or in your stomach, kind of the unrest of um, even all the acid in your stomach that builds up whenever you're just I'm stressed out, I'm overwhelmed or pounding in our chest or things like those sensations, we can, that's what trauma is doing to us. Does that mm. clarify it, make some sense? Yeah, it seems like it's like you're freezing up and you're really stressed with trauma, except for it's extended and it's a longer t period of time. Is that correct? It. We're not sure the event is over if mm. you're in that freeze. And I like to, I'd like to at least acknowledge that oftentimes, um, we can go into this more, but the freeze at times embeds, it's like embedded, the fight and flight survival responses are embedded underneath the freeze and the perpetual like acting out of those impulses that the limbic system has given to us to get through that difficult situation. It has nowhere to go. So that's where it, it can get very stuck in our bodies, all these hormones, chemicals being released, and we're acting on this, this impulse always. When we add the freeze, fancy word like dissociating out of body, I know we use it as like kind of cliche, but it's for real. Um, you think of a basic car accident, maybe experience. And as, as someone's telling the story, they're above, they're above themselves as they're watching it happen. So they, it's too overwhelming. I have to come out. And it can make it really hard when we ask at times for us to be aware of the sensations that we're feeling of the nervous system response to be enacted and get us out of there, whether it's fight or flight, um, it doesn't get to happen. It can be really frustrating, but we can live our lives like that. I think it'd be helpful for us to talk a little bit. Uh, Charles briefly mentioned the window of tolerance. And I think that is a model. It's very mm -hmm. similar to the polyvagal theory, but it's so helpful if you can kind of grasp the idea of, um, I know we don't have a video here, but, but if we had our arms mm -hmm. out as parallel to each other, like an opening and a closing of a kind of like a window or a garage door that can go up and can go down, if we open our arms wide, mm -hmm. we have a place that we feel our best and it's kind of in that zone. We're in the zone. We're in this range of re uh, resiliency and we feel really good. Um, there are still going to be waves. And so there's this kind of up and down. I kind of do a thing with my arm here. Like an ocean. Like an ocean. Wave. There's going to be ups and downs. But if I'm inside my window of tolerance, that means it's still okay. Even if I have some downs, if I'm in that window, I still feel pretty good. But then there are things like stress or we have the acronym HALTS is hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed. All of those things will shrink our window. And so when our window comes down and it, 
and we don't have the bandwidth, so to speak, and we have the same waves coming at us up and down, but now without that window that we're able to be okay in, everything's outside our window of tolerance. And so that's where we get into these different zones of hyper arousal and hypo arousal. So if, if we are kind of extended into our sympathetic nervous system where we have the fight or flight and we're stressed. You can always remember sympathetic starts with S and stress starts with S. So we're hyper aroused. We see this with um, kids when they're acting out with hitting or kicking or yelling or running away or even with people when we change the subject or we're distracted, things like that. That's all coming out of that kind of a red zone of our sympathetic nervous system. Um, Lisa, do you want to talk about the hypo arousal? It's really a place, again, I sometimes I'm most familiar with, with this one because that's where, that's where I've been. Easy to get checked out. A lot of times, you know, it's fine. I'm good. Maybe really not a lot of affect. Not much going on in the face. Mm -hmm. Just very kind of lethargic even, like in a a body posture. Really like in this this dorsal place, like no energy. Really hard to come back. Coming out of the freeze is one of the most difficult things because, you know, we're in the midst of orienting and knowing where we are and in that place we've become disoriented and it's would be very scary to come back I think to your body and say can I take a look around you know how important it is for ourselves and for people that we're working with or friends that we're trying to relate to to support them to help them know it's okay here but there has to be a felt sense of safety within themselves we cannot just tell them, I know that you're in a safe room right now. No one's going to hurt you. Not believable in that state because experience says, I have no freaking clue mm-hmm. if you're going to hurt me or not. And your words mean like nothing in that moment. So providing safety, providing access to say like, it's okay when we mess up. It's okay. I'm here with you. We're building that trust and rapport to help support people come out of that freeze. So we might look at like that hyper arousal of the sympathetic nervous system. We see things like anger and rage. We see anxiety, like we're really um, vamped up, maybe some impulsivity, really restless. But then when we fall into that dorsal state, um, we're much more into uh, like a depressive depression, Mm -hmm. numbed emotions, because it's just too much. Everything feels like too much. I have to shut down. I can't think. Um, And I feel really disconnected, no energy and dissociation. So what we want to do to be able to get to a better place is to have more of this widening of our window of tolerance where we can feel more balanced and regulated that um, in that ventral state, we're able to think and feel and feel safe. And we have a good sense of boundaries and emotions. We feel open and curious We have empathy for each other, but we're also able to be present in the moment right here, right now. I wanted to ask what determines whether you're in like the red or the blue, like the depressive or the reactive. So if you are overwhelmed, you have your window of tolerance has shrunk. You're going to be in that red and blue more. So 
the things that you can do that we've been talking about self-care and about um, mindfulness, meditation, breathing, drinking water, all of those things widen your window. So you're able to handle and have a capacity for so much more. If you're getting your sleep and your, um, your nutrition is good and you have support from friends and you're able to talk things out, you have community, you have all those great things that we've talked about, then your window gets wider and you feel better, you're going to be in that red or blue of uh, hyper or hypo arousal much less often. And you'll be able to get back into a place of that range of resiliency quicker. I also want to acknowledge that, you know, even just the three of us here, we all have three different windows of tolerance. So it's going to be different and unique for each person based on what we've experienced. So remembering, you know, my window of tolerance may have shifted higher based on what I've experienced, whether what we can tolerate, what we can't. And so I just think it's important to be mindful of that. Kind of comes back to that we can't compare our traumas. We can't compare what's going to be overwhelming to someone else. Right. That window is continually adjustable, (laughs) which is what I like, that we can impact our window. We can do things that will help widen our window. Yes. And I see, you know, again, just being, you know, interpersonal and being in the field that we are recognizing that to be able to identify where the person is, what their window of tolerance is, putting it out there and saying, maybe where do friends, where, where are they at? How do I relate? Am I pushing into their window of tolerance? Are they aware that they're, you know, the top layer of the, the general range of our window of tolerance might be superficially high for them. So they can put up with a lot more that maybe I would, I would say, wow. And also, I think as you're describing that, I think that's helpful to understand like relationships and interpersonal dynamics of um, noticing that when someone is really angry or raging or something that they are outside their window and what can we do to help bring them into a more ventral place where they can be heard if we validate and hear and understand and give people a safe place then that helps kind of soothe and calm the nervous system more so they can get back kind of being back online so to speak with their prefrontal cortex able to think able to reason mm-hmm. able to repair able to connect Something I've noticed through these podcast episodes is one, how much self-care and meditation kind of, I would emphasize like meditation or just keeping care of, taking care of your mental health is like exercising. It's something that you have to do a bunch, but it's something that helps. And then the second thing is kind of an other perspective, like keeping in mind other people's situations and other people's point of view that is different from your own, which might be able to uh, (laughs) put you into their mindset, um, which helps kind of calm the situation down. Um, Whenever I'm dealing with people who, or whenever I'm interacting with people who are dysregulated and stuff like that, Um, It is really important to view it from their point of view and understand they're not in their a coherent mind like the terms that we've been using today. They're outside of their capacity. Yeah, the range of tolerance. Their window of tolerance. Oh, Uh so close. So close. I just kept thinking garage door. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have found that clients really give me feedback 
uh, frequently on once they understand that window of tolerance, they will even even use the hand motions. I have some clients that will just show me their wave and be like, this is the week it's been. It's been up and down. It's been like that. Or being able to understand how they can widen their window or what kind of impact they can have. Um, they found that the best method for repairing the brain is mindfulness meditation, which we've spent some time on, but um, it brings that brain back online and helps us recover faster from stress and keeps our um, our physical and emotional well-being calm, helps us regulate our emotions and have empathy and it's just so important to really have time that we're slowing down when trauma speeding's everything up so fast we can't even catch up with it. We slow it all down, pause and breathe. I know Charles referenced that too of just being able to slow down helps us a lot to get grounded. And just using your five senses to notice things and like the ground and stuff like that. My final thought was um, appreciating the curiosity element of, you know, thinking of being a kid and, and staying curious and, and being exploratory and, you know, navigating life in that way and just supporting people to come back to that curiosity because when we're curious, learning can happen, we can connect with people, we're not in our trauma physiology. And so I think of like a good indicator for myself is that when I'm feeling curious or how can I learn from that, I've come back at least to a state where I'm allowed to be in that in that window of tolerance and really, really come back. And I would add to that too, compassion, yeah. you know, to have it with the non-judgmental stance of I'm just open and I'm curious and I'm compassionate toward myself and I don't need to judge or be harsh on myself or on someone else. And it's a process. It's not going to come completely back, you know, from high down. It is going to, I mean, depending on our system, it's, it's not going to be overnight. It's a process. Yeah, let's wrap up this episode on trauma. This is just kind of skimming the surface look but I'm really appreciative for it. And I think it um, works well with our interview with Charles and what we are talking about. So um, if you have any questions about trauma, if you have any personal experiences, anything that you want to communicate to um, the whole team, then feel free to email us at communityroots.pod at gmail.com. And we will definitely take a look at it go to iTunes and give us a rating. We've seen a lot of ratings there. And if you write down your rating, then it's a lot, it's really cool. And we were talking about speaking on, um, starting to read those out loud Share over air. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we're going to need a couple more to do that. So <laughs> go online, go to iTunes, start re- rating and reviewing and you'll be on the air. Um, so then uh, lastly, uh, Facebook, like us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, at communityroots.pod and um, that's how we communicate a lot of our information to you all so you understand what's going on what's in the loop so uh, like us there talk with us there communicate with us reach out and we'd be happy to make it more of like a community more of a family you know so that about does this episode Um, I'm going to do my thank yous thank you to Lisa and Julie 
um, to Adrienne, um, Alexander Wells, Steve Dodge, Steve Paracas. Everyone who's listening and supporting us, and those yeah. especially that are sharing this with other people, I think is so helpful. If you know someone who's hurting, if you have a friend that you want to um, share our episodes with, or our Facebook page, or our Instagram with, help us spread the word. We would so appreciate that. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week with our second parter for Charles's episode on trauma. And then the three of us will be back the week after that. See you then. Take care.